Hi, my name's Archie, and this is I Was There, a sports podcast dedicated to telling the stories from you, the fan. This series is all about unearthing the incredible tales of the people sitting next to you in the stadium on the day that you witness history and what led to them being there. It's time to head to the 2018 FIFA World Cup and hear a story from Alex Logan, a passionate Socceroo fan who now lives in London, and he was there the day Australia played Denmark in the Russian city of Samara. While he would make it to the ground that day, nothing about attending this game was straightforward, as he was about to endure, well, nothing short of a travelling disaster. There's misplaced travel documents, missed flights, a crazy Uber experience, and a timeline so precise it'll make your head spin just listening to it. You're going to be wondering just how he made it to this game at all. Let's do it. I'm Alex Logan, and when Australia played Denmark in Samara at the 2018 FIFA World Cup, I was there. Can they draw level? Jedinak looked absolutely certain before he took it. Well, this is a remarkable story because it's basically every fan's worst nightmare. We're going to go all the way to the Russia World Cup in 2018. A devoted Socceroo fan who used to live in Sydney, he now lives over in London. He's travelled to Russia and this story is, is heartbreaking, but it has a great ending as well. But it's every traveller's worst nightmare. But Alex Logan, mate, welcome to I Was There. Thank you, Archie. How are you this morning? I'm um, good, thanks, mate. And uh, this story, I've been dying to hear this story because it's just, it just has all the emotions and it's going to be funny for you to probably relive it. I'm sure what, during our chat, I'll be able to go on that emotional roller coaster with you. But let's just go back to this trip. Obviously, you've been planning this for quite some time. And, and how important was it that you were in Russia for the World Cup? Well, uh, it's uh, a lot of my travel that I do orientates around sports tournaments and uh, uh, huge sports tournaments. So after picking up my love uh, for the for World Cup in Brazil, um, Russia was always going to be something earmarked um, to attend. So um, I obviously ensured that all my holidays were, were cleared out and I had a good month um, to, to go nuts there. So Russia was always at the top of the list for, uh, for attending. So after the first game you went to, which was Australia and France, obviously a result we didn't win, but a lot of optimism out of that result, a 2-1 finish. What do you remember about that game? Well, I thought the France game was, was a good indicator of where we had uh, come from when our build-up to the World Cup. Uh, you know, you, you watch the game and you look at the different dynamics of it, and I thought we were, you know, on par with France. Uh, the winning goal, obviously, you know, coming off the bar, uh, you know, physics on a different day would have changed that. But um, I thought it, it was a good start, and it obviously showed uh, Peru and Denmark uh, within the group that we weren't to be messed with. And uh, I think France as well was somewhat surprised with mm. how we turned up that day. So when you were in Russia, where were you based? Did you base yourself in a particular city? Yeah, so we were based in St. Petersburg, um, and that was based on the fact that we had the venue series uh, there. So we saw a lot of the games in the group stage that were there, um, which I found was, was quite a good base as well. So you basically would just fly out per game, whatever game you had tickets to, apart from all the, obviously, the home games in St. Petersburg. You just follow the Socceroos around the country. Yeah, that's right. I found it was uh, an easier method of getting around um, you know, to avoid the FIFA three-day trains uh, that were on offer uh, <laughs> through the different venues. So, I, yeah, I found that that was an easier way to do it. All right, so, Alex, let's talk about the, the story that you're going to tell me is all about the Socceroos game against Denmark in Samara. But for you, this was a case of an almost missed opportunity because it seemed like the universe was against you. But can you take me back to where this kind of tale starts, which I believe – was around the 19th of June, just two days before the game, and a mate that you were travelling with happened to be able to get a spare ticket or something like that. Can you take me through that? 
Yeah, it was. So uh, I just returned um, from Kazan, funnily enough, and uh, started to tell uh, a few of the boys of the tales um, and just what a great experience it was. Uh, that obviously had an effect on my friend because uh, he was able to source a, a spare ticket uh, for that. Uh, obviously, sourcing a spare ticket at that time wasn't cheap, uh, but he managed to uh, book himself onto my own flight. Wait, so, uh, so sorry, there. so he didn't have a ticket to Australia and Denmark, but after you'd come back, spoken about how good France, the France game was, he's now managed to get a last-minute flight and a ticket to this game in a few days' time. That's correct, yes, right. uh, which was at the time extremely rare for that to happen. And how much did he have to pay? Uh, all up, he spent uh, just over a thousand Aussie dollars to just go to this one game with you, obviously. To go to this one game to book on my flight uh, to to be with me, yeah, that's correct. So you're excited, you know? It's two days before you got the flight the next day. Take me through that. Well, yeah, absolutely. Very, very keen. Uh, I had different groups traveling around Russia at the time, um, but uh, this one friend was always going to be in St. Petersburg. So uh, to have him sort of inspired to come to come watch his home country, um, you know, with everyone else, as well as adding a, a travel element to it, uh, was always very exciting. So we were getting very, very pumped, uh, you know, booking our accommodation and generally continuing the feel of what I had in Kazan, but it was nice to share that with other people as well. All right, so the next day comes, you've got a flight on the 20th of June. What time was were you scheduled to fly out to Samara that next day? So it was 10.25 in the morning that we were scheduled to fly out. Um, so we got ourselves up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, everything was packed, prepared in hand, ready to go. Uh, got our Uber, uh, which was nice. The guy was a little bit quirky, I have to say. Uh, he was quite happy about having some Australians in his car. Uh, I don't think I'll ever experience the Australian national anthem being blasted through the streets of St. Petersburg at 7 a.m. again in the way that it was. Um, but we certainly turned some heads that morning um, and but arrived to the airport uh, with a suitable amount of time to check in and everything. So, wait, the guy obviously just picked up on your accent and he's decided, how's he found it just on YouTube? He's decided to blast the Aussie anthem. He literally found it on YouTube. We were, we were discussing, uh, we were obviously wearing our colours, um, as you do during the World Cup time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was very inquisitive and uh, sort of kicked off from there to the point where we were almost embarrassed uh, how loud it was playing <laughs> throughout the street. So it was uh, it was an interesting, interesting morning. So now this is really the horrible part of this story because you, you've got to the airport, you've gone through security, and I'm left to believe you've forgotten something rather important. Well, yes. Yeah. So uh, for those not aware, uh, when you're traveling in Russia, regardless if you travel uh, internationally or domestically uh, within the country, uh, you need a passport. Uh, that, that's standard practice there. Um, so I basically got everything out ready to check in and I started to fumble around my pockets. can't really find my, my documentation, my passport. So it's a bit odd. So I opened my bag, had a look through it. Surely it's just stuck down somewhere. So about five minutes, I started to get a bit more nervous and uh, started to look at my friend, telling him that I don't think I have my passport with me. And I'm sure you told him. I'm sure you told him about like that calm. You were that calm when you told him. <laughs> I was that calm because I thought, look, it's it's got to be here. It surely isn't what it is. It's it's just here. I'm just haven't seen it. That type of thing. About ten minutes after looking, I start to realise I don't have my passport. <sighs> um, I look at my friend, and it comes to the point where the decision has to be made. Do I, do we, we have to leave now basically to, to go back to at least backtrack our steps and retrieve the passport. That decision was then made, uh, which was to get into a cab and go back to the apartment. So we get the cab, go back to the apartment. By that time, uh, we had hit peak hour traffic, uh, Petersburg, 
the realization that we weren't going to make the flight had started to set in. So when um, when you're actually at the airport and you realize you didn't have your passport, did you say to your mate, "Just go, man, like go yourself," or was he just, you know, was that conversation had? Well, we we did have that conversation, um, and I was of the opinion that look, he had everything he needed. Um, he could just go, and I'll need to sort this out myself. Um, credit to to my mate um, in the, you know, as a person that he is, uh, he was willing to stick with me rather than do the trip by himself, which is, you know, not many people have a friend who is willing to do that after outlaying so much of the opportunity. Um, but I was very lucky to have, and still do, uh, have someone uh, who was willing to stick their neck out and sort of support me when I'm slowly crumbling. <laughs> Yeah, so, so, so now you're, that was that was what made it more special. Yeah, right. Okay, so now you've got another Uber. You're stuck in traffic, and you're on your way back to the apartment. Yeah, and I'm slowly starting to realise my friend uh, is, is making light of the situation. He's obviously trying to make me feel better mm. um, while I'm uh, almost tearing heads off myself, um, almost lost, thinking where has this passport gone? So we, we get back to the apartment uh, 25 minutes basically before our flight was supposed to take off. Uh, so obviously we have missed that. Yeah. Start to look around the apartment with the passport, look at everything where it is. After about 25 minutes of looking, my passport is not in the apartment either. Oh, so it's not even so, it's not even back at home now. You now it's kind of I get okay, right? So it's it's almost like the the fear of just missing the flight is now being trumped by the fact that you might have actually lost this document. Absolutely, mm. and uh, obviously living in London, uh, I need that document to return. Uh, as well for other immigration purposes. So uh, I think it was fair to say at that moment I, I was freaking out uh, within that uh, sort of in a, in a country of that nature uh, with, you know, you need your travel documents with you, not only uh, for ID purposes, but also just to, to get around. Um, so I felt relatively stuck at that point and not feeling the greatest. So what do you, what happens next? What, what's the next plan of attack? So next plan of attack is sort of two-pronged. Um, so my mate was able to uh, see whether he could get in touch with the driver considering that we had ordered the car through Uber. Mm. What happened, though, was uh, we hadn't actually ordered an Uber car. Uh, we've been in St. Petersburg. They have an affiliate local company that use Uber to also pick up uh, the extra traffic that occurs. Within that basis, we had to go through sort of two or three levels of uh, a bureaucracy, if I could put it in that way, just to reach uh, the correct person who could try and put us in touch with that driver. And mate, like um, so to be honest, a- to be honest, you know, I was I was there in Russia as well, and I've got to say, the thought of trying to contact a Russian company to find a lost possession like this—it's not going to be a very enjoyable or easy experience, surely. No, not at all. Um, it was certainly a language barrier that was an issue as well. Yeah. Um, but I think the more more prominent thing was uh, obviously the loss of a, of a passport document. Um, <laughs> in certain countries, um, but particularly in the World Cup time, passports are, are worth more than their weight in gold um, for the potential use and misuse of them, uh, but also being sold on the black market and other things like that. So there, there were several things going through my mind uh, with that. So that was one avenue we had uh, to take. Uh, but obviously... Uh, I couldn't sort of rely on the fact that, you know, the passport was somewhere. So I had to also contact the Australian embassy in St. Petersburg, uh, which funnily enough was only 15 minutes walk away. Um, but they were also open and they said, yeah, they would be able to supply me uh, with uh, replacement documentation if needed. Well, and what about your, because uh, you're living in Britain, what about the visa situation with that? Or was that just like... Yeah, well, so that was the, that was the most worrying part about it was uh, to move uh, from my, the visa I was on in Britain uh, to permanent residency. I, I required my passport 
to show all my entries and exits, but also uh, all the validity of my travel in the last five years. Um, so I, we'd gone from a situation from on the way to a game, a World Cup game, soccer's game, to I don't have any documentation and legally I can't leave or enter any country. Right. <laughs> so you had a breakthrough though. You obviously got a breakthrough with the Uber driver. Yeah. So uh, literally about to leave. I'd go to the embassy to get the emergency passport. Um, and my mate gets a message back from the company saying, yep, your passport's in the back seat. Uh, the relief. Yeah. Uh, unfathomable, if I can put it in that fashion. It was almost, there's no way. It's almost it's almost a thing where you get emotionally drained and then suddenly that light at the end of the tunnel comes up. And yeah. It was there. So couldn't have been happier with that. And then um, you, you've obviously organised to go and meet this guy. Yep, so this guy said, yeah, he'll be there in an hour. Um, so we waited for him about two hours later. Um, he rocked up at the spot, so I went outside, had a quick word with him, handed over the document, which uh, was the biggest relief I think I've, I've had in some time. <laughs> uh, looked through the document, everything was okay, and then uh, paid him a small finder's fee uh, for his uh, great effort and uh, returning of the document. So, I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned it just then, like that that sense of relief would have been just incomprehensible almost. It was the rush of everything just falling over you and, and dripping down was was something that I haven't had in a long time. <laughs> it's also something I wish I don't have again. So now the game plan, though, is because we're on the 20th of June right now. The Socceroos are playing the next day. It's what? It'd be sometime in the mid-afternoon by, at this point? Yeah, that's right. It was uh, just early, early to mid-afternoon, about 2 o'clock. So now what's um, the discussion? It's got to be how are we going to get to this game tomorrow? That's exactly right. So now that I knew I had my passport back, you know, that business was done. I very quickly moved that out of my head, um, ticked it off, and knew, right, we're in a situation where we need to do this. Um, so I very, very quickly, as soon as I got back to the apartment, started to go through a sky scanner. started asking my friend, look, if I can find something, we're going right. Um, he was very nonchalant. He said, look, don't worry about it. It is, it is what it is. Wow. Um, after about half an hour of searching through, um, there was one option. There was one flight that we could take, the only flight, the only way that we could get to Samara, which was uh, leaving at 4 a.m. on the 21st, flying to Moscow, having a 90-minute turnaround in Moscow, and then uh, flying down to Samara to arrive at 10 a.m. That was the only option we had. And so you booked it? I booked it. Did you That's pay? Right. Did you pay I, for your mate? I didn't tell him when I booked it. <laughs> really? He was like, look, do he was very nonchalant. He said, do what you want. Like, I don't mind. Like, you know, it's, it is what it is. I wasn't going to take no as an answer. Yeah. I really was not going to let my stupidity um, affect an experience of this nature. So long story short, uh, about 400 pounds later, um, I had booked flights. So the flight's at 4 a.m., so you pack your bags, you're in the cars at 2 a.m., making sure that you've got your passport this time? Passport was in hand. It was in my hand the entire time. But then as soon as I hopped out of the car, it was zipped up with my friend checking and watching me zip it up into my uh, carrier and then in my bag nice and safely. Now, any dramas so, on the way to Samara? Obviously, you've got this really short connecting time between these flights. So is there any drama in the next phase of the trip? Well, I mean, we all check in. We get to our flight. We're all, you know, very happy. We're looking at each other going, right, we're on the way. You know, happy days. Uh, flight's supposed to leave at 4. So about 3.30, uh, they said that boarding will begin shortly. 
uh, everything's on par. They then make an announcement that, that says boarding's been delayed by 20 minutes. So, oh. okay, it's okay. It's, it's fine. I mean, we've got a bit of time to spare. It's no dramas. What started to worry us was the next announcement wasn't we're ready for boarding. It was we're delayed by 30 minutes. So... What kind Me of conversation? Yeah, each other. yeah. What? Well, yeah. What conversations are you guys having? Well, I mean, I'm still optimistic, and I'm still, you know, we're going to do this. And my friend almost starts to have this little smile on his face, going, "There's someone who doesn't want us to make this game." Mm. Yeah. Next announcement: another 45 minute delay. My friend's smile starts to get bigger, and I start to look at him to the point where. It's almost like someone is not wanting us to get onto this flight. Yeah. Next announcement is we're ready to board. So we're at a, a situation where the flight from Moscow leaves at 7.30. Yep. And we are in a plane boarding at 5.55 with a flight time of one hour and 30 minutes. So <laughs> for those who are adding that up in your head, yeah. there is five minutes difference there. Yeah. God. So by the time we have boarded, <laughs> that is now down to one hour and 15 minutes. That's just boarding as well. That's what you haven't even taken off yet. I haven't even taken off. We're sitting there. We're sitting there on the plane. I'm looking at my phone. My friend is almost cackling because he, 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 you could not write this. You know, it's really, it's hard to, you got to put yourself in your shoes sitting on that plane after everything you've gone through. But then you kind of also, I'm sure that you did, you got to think about the bigger picture of this moment. You know, it's taken, it's four years. It's the World Cup. You're going to watch your country play, let alone the fact that you've had to like had all these delays because you lost your passport. I mean, that for me, if I'm sitting on that plane, that's what's going through my head. The fact that this isn't just like a run of the mill league fixture for a domestic side or whatever. This is a World Cup game that you've been waiting for for so long. That's exactly right. And you look at it in the way that there's not many things that you'll go the extra mile for, but this is something that it doesn't – it almost doesn't matter what the cost is. As long as you're there, it's worth it at the end of the day. Yeah. So it seems like someone had heard – someone had heard – what we were, you know, someone had understood what we had been through. Um, <laughs> it's almost, uh, you know, we, we were taxiing and, and the captain comes on the flight, on the uh, on the speaker and he says uh, the flight time today, instead of being one hour 30, is going to be 55 minutes due to the, the wind uh, the wind at the tail. Wow. So me and my friend look at each other. You know, that, that is huge. You know, that turning is, that point. That is a turning point of this tale. It was, it was incredible. So the entire flight, I'm looking at the phone, Getting all down, just hoping for it. The flight, funnily enough, was as quick as anything. I think that was probably more the expectation and realization that actually we're back on, we can do this. So we land in Moscow. Um, according to my my phone clock, uh, we had 14 minutes from the time we had touched down to disembark the plane, uh, get to our terminal, go through the transfer security, and reach our gate. I'm not hugely optimistic at the moment. 14 minutes to do that is not. A huge amount of time. No, and then what part of the, like were you sitting near the back of the plane or anything, or you know near the front? We were we were, we were in the middle, so the, that was the more annoying part was just watching people stand and waiting for that door to open, yeah. and all that. But so basically, me and my mate looked at each other and said, "We've we've got to take this on." So as soon as we're out um, of the gate, we're running, we're sprinting, we're probably looking like idiots running through the airport. Um. Do what we need to do. Uh, I reckon the final sprint down was about 300 metres, running on shallot. We find the gate that we're at. The guy has just closed the gate, oh. as in the doors to the bus has shut. We are 
everything in hand, put our things down and go, we, we quickly explained, we had just stopped off this fight, please just open the door. The guy looked at us, sort of looked at us twice, mm. checks us in. The relief. <laughs> he checks us in, he goes, cop on the bus, opens the door, the bus pulls off instantly. I, I, words still to this day uh, can't encapsulate that feeling of we did it. So we're on the bus, uh, board on the plane, uh, a few other Aussies there who, who are looking at us like we've been through hell, because we have. Um, and the feeling of being on that plane when it took off was second to none. So you touched down in Samara. Touchdown in Samara about 10 o'clock game day. So we had the quickest turnaround, uh, basically got an Uber to accommodation, put all our stuff down, and then uh, we headed to the ground. Now, you've been awake for like quite some time now, man, because you've, you know, you guys had that flight at 4 a.m. So do you remember, was it a big rush? I mean, did you even have anywhere to put your bags? We had accommodation set up, but it was obviously booked for the night before. So we had to try and communicate with the uh, owner of the accommodation to let them know of our situation and having to meet us there to get keys and everything. So that then took some time. But to be honest with you, it was the adrenaline that was just like, we've been up for so long. I've had, I don't think I've had a more crazy morning that you could have Mm. um, to to get somewhere. So for me, it was the adrenaline and the fact that, Hey, it's a, it's a match day. It's game day. um, That was enough, enough to get us through. All right, well, let's uh, let's get into the game. And uh, this might bring you back to that moment on uh, June the 21st. Perfect conditions here in Samara and in the town where they make space rocket engines. Denmark looking for liftoff from Group C and Australia in danger of being left on the launch pad. Mate, were you feeling confident about this game? To be honest with you, I was. Um, and that was based not only on our performance against France, but... Also, the way that uh, we'd set up against Denmark, um, I, I felt really confident about the game. It was definitely a game that, out of the group, that I think we could get the biggest result. And here's Jurgensen to Eriksson! And Denmark take the lead! And it's the star man who delivers yet again. Now, I was in the stands as well that day, and I just remember all the talk before the game was the danger man's Ericsson, and obviously they've got Kasper Schmeichel in goals as well. But, you know, we sometimes can be the victim of being slow starters, and you don't want to give that guy a sniff, but when he rocketed that ball, that half volley into the top of that net, well, how are you feeling? Because I know I was feeling pretty down. Yeah, I obviously wasn't feeling the greatest, but I felt we sort of shot ourselves in the foot with it. Um, you know, we had set up the way that we had, you know, formed uh, within the team, you know, to, to prevent Ericsson being able to move around the way that he does. And I felt that we failed in that fashion. You know, it was the start of the game, uh, to be said, but that is something that the soccer is, uh, you know, we do falter at with that. So it was, it wasn't, Best of starts, um, but again, it was something that we were very quiet in the crowd about. Just to go back a bit, Alex, uh, can you explain to me that feeling when you got to the ground, you scanned your ticket, and you actually was were inside the stadium in time for kickoff? Can you remember that moment in your life? Because surely out of all of the sporting events you've been to, that's got to be one of the sweetest feelings of ever scanning a ticket, right? Absolutely. Uh, to walk through the, the gates, uh, even... I remember now uh, just sitting down in my seat. I almost sat there for a good minute or two and just breathed it in because mm. it was almost surreal that after everything we'd been through, I was where I needed to be. 
I mean, that's the, was, yeah. the, the exact reason why I wanted to start this podcast was to, for that reason, that there would be someone sitting next to you at that ground who probably had, I can guarantee they probably had a completely carefree, incident-free way of getting to that game. But when you're sitting there next to that person, you've got no clue that you've just been on this absolute, I mean, the fact that you f- forgot your passport, then you actually left it in a cab, you had to get it back, like, and now you're finally here. And seven minutes later, the Socceroos are letting you down. Yeah, it, uh, it didn't read well, uh, the story <laughs> at that time, but um, it, 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 that, that's what the World Cup is, isn't it? And um, yeah, after that first goal, we were relatively quiet at that time. All right, well, let's go to the 36th minute. This is a bit of controversy. This happens. Four corners for Australia and no goals. That's what they need. Lecky with another header blocked on the way through. Now they're claiming there there might have been a hand involved. There is a check and... There's a possible handball. Well, it's very, very close, isn't it? What's he going to give? Penalty is what he's going to give. So we've gone from being stitched up with VAR in the France game. Now how are you feeling about the technology? Well, uh, technology was my best friend at that point. But I also remember that moment for the fact that it's when I got drenched in beer because everyone was going nuts. The cups were being thrown. Beer was flying everywhere. It was party town in that Aussie section of the crowd. Even before the penalty kick had been taken or afterwards? Even before the penalty kick got taken. Well, here is the moment. Can they draw level? Yedinak looked absolutely certain before he took it. Yedinak was never going to miss that, was he? He was never going to miss it. And that responding reaction from the crowd, you thought the party before the penalty was big, this one was massive. We went nuts. Can you describe that moment? Obviously, you got to see it in France, in the France game as well, when we scored a penalty. But that feeling of when you see your nation score a goal at the World Cup, you know, can you describe it? I think for me, it is probably the single most common reason someone goes to a World Cup. If you look across the board at every nation and everything that, you know, people, what people go through or people do or whatever, seeing your team score at the World Cup is is second to none. And I think... If we ask that question as well to to other people of different nations who maybe will never win it or, you know, just want to be a part of the World Cup, one good thing about, you know, the main thing they want to do is, is score at the World Cup. So for me, it is the single most important thing or the best reason, the best thing to see at a World Cup for your nation is to see them score. Mm, very well said, mate. Got a little bit of goosebumps just hearing you say those words. <laughs> hey, uh, so halftime one all, obviously it finished one all. Was that the way you thought that it would finish or were you surprised that there weren't any more goals? I have to say throughout sort of towards the game's back end, uh, it was becoming more and more uh, likely that the game would end in a draw. And looking on the game uh, retrospectively overall, I think if we got offered 1-1 at the start of the game, we probably would have taken that regardless of, of what happened in the game. So for me, I think 1-1 was probably a fair reflection um, of the game overall. So after the game, mate, does anything remarkable happen on this journey? Surely something. Well, after the game, uh, you know, we, we say, well, what are we going to do next? And uh, funnily enough, we end up meeting uh, a few of our other friends uh, who we had anticipated on meeting the day before. Um, but obviously not. So we end up meeting with uh, a bunch of our friends um, and uh, the night kicked on from there. When was your flight back to St. Petersburg? So this is what was very interesting was our flight back was at 4.55 that next morning. 
<laughs> so 12 hours, 24 hours completely from the, the, the later book flight. Pretty much, 24-hour oh. round trip. No sleep. No sleep. So uh, went out with the uh, friends after the game, got back to the apartment about 12, uh, had to leave the apartment at 2, um, literally straight to the airport, plane at 4, 4.55. So out of all of the events and all the sports stories that you've had traveling the world to go to games, where does this one rate? And do you think it's something you're obviously going to remember forever? I think this one certainly rates as my most uh, adventurous and um, calamitous, if I could put it in that way. Uh, just the way that everything happened, uh, you know, even as an experienced traveler, these things happen. It's something you've got to take on the chin. Uh, but it will definitely rank up there as the most sort of active and worrying travel experience I'll ever have. While that might put a negative spit on it, you need to have these things happen. Mm. And at the end of the day, I, I'm happy that while it happened in a really bad time and everything, everything ended up okay. You know, I got my passport back, still got to see the game. You know, money is nothing compared to the experience that we had with the people around you, but also the story. So, so for me, it was at least I got a happy ending out of it, um, but it'll be something that I will never, ever forget. On the next episode of I Was There, you'll meet John Larkin, an Irishman who watched Liverpool play Chelsea at Anfield on a snowy night in February 2009. Over there for his birthday and with his wife, John had no idea who he'd be eating breakfast with on match day morning. So it wasn't until the next morning that I realised that the Chelsea team were there because the one I went down for, for breakfast. Um, I was sitting across from Peter Cech and a few, a few <laughs> other players as well. So that was interesting. I mean, I've, I've met players in Liverpool before, but from Liverpool, not from opposing teams, and to be in a hotel where, where they'd all been staying it was quite a eye opener. That's on the next episode of I Was There. Have you or a friend got an amazing story that you'd like to share on this podcast? No matter what sport or code it is, I'd love to hear from you. Send an email to iwastherepodcast at gmail.com and I'll get in touch with you as soon as I can. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear and want to keep up to date with the latest episodes, please hit subscribe on the podcast app. If you leave a review as well, well, that'd be bloody awesome too. See you next time.